Case file number 5.03. Pwn to own. Observed by Agent Crenshaw. Agent Crenshaw. Still working on this Gibson thing. No, Chief. You, you gotta give me more time. Have you even listened to the recordings? It's like an encyclopedia of this hacker stuff. One of them just keeps going on and on about everything that ever went wrong on the internet. No, nobody knows this kind of crap. He's obviously up to no good. Yeah, the one called Hackalope. No, how is it not illegal? The information is dangerous. And and the other one, the other one, Ymir. He's always going on about everything the CIA and FBI did wrong. All the wiretap stuff, all the crazy projects. How does he know? We already know he's infiltrated NASA, and I am this close to catching him skipping leg day. Now just ask yourself, Chief, what would J. Edgar Hoover do? Come, Chief, all I need is more time. Sooner or later they're going to slip up and I will catch them. Hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subdirector of the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. So we've talked about like different hacking conferences. Like, you know, we both go to DEF CON. Mm-hmm. You go to Black Hat. I'm too cheap for that. I get other people to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, my company's too cheap for that. Um, okay. Like Fair besides, enough. besides, you know, other things. Yeah. Uh, today, I wanted to touch on a competition that you kind of brought up when we were talking offline uh, called Pwn to Own. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd heard like passing stuff on it. Right. So, I mean, I I would see the, the news articles and I knew the names that hit a lot. We did an article with Bar- about Barnaby Jack. I think he he mm-hmm. won a couple of, of Pwn to Owns and Charlie Miller came up in your yep. driving episode. Mm-hmm. And like, and he's won a, a few of them. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. I heard of his work before. There was a big one, like the mid aughts or something, where that he got both the MacBook and the uh, iPhone on the same thing, mm-hmm. or something yep, like yep. that. Yeah. But to be honest, like I knew it was there. I knew the contest was there, but since I'm always a blue team kind of guy, it was never a professional interest for me to be like compete. So I didn't spend as much time like looking into how the contest was structured or anything like that as I think people assumed, at least where I work. So I was like, oh, this would make a great topic for other people. And I'll be interested to hear, or I'll be interested to do the research, whoever picks the topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like I started off just kind of, I was like, oh, I'll do like kind of a brief overview. And I might branch into like other uh, bug bounty programs and stuff like that. But this kind of quickly devolved into uh, just doing a history of all the, the contests like every yeah. year, because they're really interesting. And like how it kind of, um, how it started and how it kind of advanced and stuff like that was, was really cool. One thing I do that that at least was a trend for a while, and I don't know if you're going to get if the, if this bears out or and you're going to get into this, but I do think that it's been a pretty good touchstone for the direction a lot of new vulnerabilities are going to come from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been helpful on the defense side because when people are winning with use after free, were you seeing use after free in other vulnerabilities for the for the next year or two mm-hmm. uh, as right. like the new avenue of research. So it's helped us see the direction things are going to be coming from, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the, the very first one was held in 2007 in Vancouver. 
the entire kind of synopsis of the contest is that all the contestants are challenged to exploit widely used software and mobile platforms um, and all of its previously unknown vulnerabilities. It's kind of like either you uh, you write the exploit on site, you like early on, you could develop the exploit and kind of ship with it and like throw it at the device and see if you could win. And the winners get a cash prize if they're able to exploit these. And they actually also get the, the item they exploited. Yes. Um, which is where the, the own comes from because um, yeah. your pony had to le legitimately take it away and own it. Yeah. So the, the very first contest back in 2007 uh, was envisioned by uh, Dragos uh, Ruayu, I think. I don't know if I'm butchering his last name there. And this was in response to uh, Apple and their lack of any response from like a bunch of vulnerabilities that have been disclosed, um, especially in the response to the month of Apple bugs and the month of kernel bugs. Mm -hmm. These were like month of strategies that researchers, when they found software companies were completely non-responsive and didn't cooperate with any of the security alerts or any anything like that, uh, responsible disclosure wasn't working properly. Mm -hmm. So they went ahead and would find and disclose one security vulnerability each day of the month. That's a really important part because the responsible disclosure only works if industry responds to it. Yeah, exactly. I think there was um, just recently on uh, Reddit's NetSec, someone found a vulnerability in, uh, I think there were like some jacuzzis or something like that. And he had submitted the, the vulnerability like multiple times to the company and they just completely ignored it to the point where like he went around and went to like another like servicing company that was tied to them and reported to them just kind of like, hey guys, it, this, this is bad. Can you like get in contact with them? Because no one will respond to me. Yeah, some companies just do not respond at all. Yeah, especially if they're not tech-focused companies, they can believe that they can just wait it out, that they can just mm -hmm. ignore the problem. And we, we've already been through that era. It's not that tech companies never thought they could do it. It's that we've been through that era and a few of them think that they can get away with it. Now, I'm not going to say zero because we still have these problems yeah, uh, yeah. every once in a while. but. I guess I was thinking about doing trying trying to do a whole episode on the whole responsible disclosure thing. I think I think it'd be a good idea. Well, I'll go over it real very quickly because because mm -hmm. like you talk about those conferences and those conferences were really important parts of the evolution of this. Mm -hmm. We had the white hats and the black hats. The white hats only listened to what the vendor told them. The black hats went buck wild, but they were considered criminals by the folks that <laughs> right. were doing system administration at the time. Right, and yeah. the beginning idea of Black Hat and a lot of the, the OG conferences was, mm -hmm. hey, at least listen to them, see what their research is, because like at that point in time when there were, when there was real white hats and black hats, major Unix vendors had multiple backdoors into their OSs that they didn't disclose to their customers. They had vulnerabilities right. that they didn't disclose to their customers. So yep. you don't even know what you're defending against. So we went through the era of full disclosure. And that was kind of dangerous because it was like, okay, I need to know what the bad stuff is for me to defend against it. But that also means that you're proliferating at least proof of concept exploits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like day up, zero day, the full disclosure list had their fair share of that. Mm -hmm. And what we ended up with, especially as the community got a little bit older and got jobs in industry and stuff, and like that didn't change who they were and the kind and and like their ethics and their tinkering with the technology, but now they're on kind of both sides. Mm -hmm. 
the maturity of both the tech side and the community side got to this idea of responsible disclosure, which is right, right. we give you a shot at patching it. Good faith. Here's what we got. You get a patch out before I get to talk about it, but you give me credit. And the beginning of that is where we got things like pwn to own and bug bounties, where people get compensated directly for the exploits that they develop. It's the world where we have security researchers that publish the vulnerabilities that they find on the defensive side, rather than everybody who's good at that being on the black side. And I think this is the strength of the US model over, frankly, the Russian model, where everybody who's good at security ends up on the organized crime side, or at least did for a long time. I think it's a little bit more ambiguous now, even Mm. with Putin's Russia being under sanction and everything. But like, it was very much an era where everybody who was anything in security was getting recruited for attack side stuff. Whereas we have a much more healthy ecosystem where we're keeping people getting W-2s rather than trying to launder money. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, being a criminal is a fairly stressful occupation. So if you can make you know, 70%, 80% of that income legitimately with a W-2 and do this stuff, then, you know, you're still doing what you love to do yeah, and not having to run from the law. Doing well by doing good, but also like mm-hmm. the longevity of your potential campaign and the volatility of your money that you get is much better if you're doing it legit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, there's outliers, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I like to tell the story of the uh, TJX disaster at the end of the TJX exploit, the folks that they originally found on it made mm-hmm. something like $75,000 a year each Yeah, yeah. over their exploit time. And it's like, I'll bet you if you were one of the people that was cleaning it up, none of them made less than that a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyways, the uh, the first contest for Pwn to Own included two MacBook Pros. Trigos just left them on the conference floor and hooked them up to a wireless access point and was like, hey, you know, anyone can come in here. They can connect to this access point and they could try to exploit these laptops. And if you can, you win them. And so the first day of the uh, the con, Ryu asked uh, Tahrir Forsloff of uh, Zero Day Initiative to participate in the contest. ZDI had basically had a program uh, where they would purchase zero day attacks and report them to the affected vendors and then turn them into signatures for their intrusion detection system. The vulnerabilities sold to ZDI, they're made public only after the affected vendor issues a patch. Mm-hmm. And so Forsloff agreed to offer to purchase any vulnerabilities to use in the contest um, for a fee of like $10,000 per vulnerability. And the first contest actually exposed a high-profile QuickTime flaw, which was disclosed to Apple in April and then patched in May. And this was done by uh, Dino Daisovi and one night, he found a previously unknown vulnerability in QuickTime library that was loaded by Safari. His, his, uh, I think it was his coworker, his friend was actually at the conference. He was back mm-hmm. in New York. And his, was it Dino Von Zivi? I Dino Diazovi. Okay. Um, different, different guy. Yeah. There, there's a guy who's done a lot of Apple work. Dino okay. Von Zivi. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But like his, his friend just contacted him and was like, Hey, you should, you should try this. <laughs> like, <he> just, <laughs> uh, I believe, I believe he sent in the exploit to his friend and his friend, you know, showed him and, uh, <laughs> he gave his friend the, the MacBook Pro and he, Awesome. You know, up to $10,000 reward. Mm -hmm. So that was the first year. In 2008, next year, the scope expanded. Uh, This now started to include three new laptops running uh, Windows Vista Ultimate, uh, SP1. We had OS X 10.5.2 and Ubuntu Linux Mm 7.10. And day one, now they kind of like broke this up into um, expanding the attack service per day. 
day one was remote hacks only. Mm -hmm. Day two, you had browser and instant messaging attacks as well as malicious websites. And then day three introduced third uh, party applications and you could try to use them to exploit the OS itself. Okay. The OSX laptop was exploited on the second day with an exploit for Safari browser, which was co-written by Charlie Miller, uh, Jake Honoroff, and Mark Daniel of independent security evaluators. The Windows Vista laptop was exploited by the third day via an Adobe Flash vulnerability that was co-written by Shane McCauley, Alexander Sotorov, and Derek Calloway. Then moving on to 2009, mobile devices got added into the mix. Mm -hmm. And now, so we had... You know, the same kind of attack surface day-to-day -day progression for uh, the laptops that were there. The mobile devices now had day one, your, the device could only could receive SMS, uh, MMS, and email, but the messages couldn't be read. Uh, so it could only uh, receive that. Mm -hmm. Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, if they were on by default, would be on starting day one. And uh, the radio stack uh, was in scope. Mm -hmm. Day two, all of the above messages uh, could be read and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth were turned on if they had you know, been turned on by default. And then day three allowed uh, one level of user interaction with the default apps. So during this conference, uh, Charlie Miller again exploited Safari on uh, OSX with some, uh, without any browser plugins. Mm -hmm. A researcher named uh, Nils went after an exploited IE8 on Windows 7 beta. Uh, his exploit bypassed uh, Microsoft mitigations including their uh, data execution prevention and address space layout randomization. Then he moved on after that in his Safari Firefox as well and uh, exploited them too. I mean, that's frankly impressive because those, the two um, execution environment protections that you were just, that you just mentioned, uh, DEP and um, ASLR. ASLR. I was mm. like, we just were talking about cameras as like DSLR, ASLR. I know that I'm getting this wrong. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, are all protections against buffer overflows. Mm -hmm. And those were relatively new at the time. So getting yeah, yeah. bypassing both of those was actually a pretty impressive feat mm -hmm. uh, at that point in time. At this point, the tools are more mature, although it's still not easy. And mm -hmm. obviously Microsoft has continued to develop the technology. But at that right. point, that is a very impressive achievement. Yeah, 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 exactly. Later on, Julian uh, Tenace and uh, Sammy Kovu exploited Firefox and Safari with a Java vulnerability, Java being enabled by default at the time in Safari. In 2010, we had a uh, cash pool of $100,000, and Charlie Miller hacked Safari 4. Uh, Niles hacked Firefox 3.6 on uh, Windows using memory corruption vulnerability and bypassing DEP and ASLR again. Mm -hmm. uh, Ralph Philip uh, Weinman and Vincenzo Iozo hacked the iPhone 3GS by uh, bypassing digital signatures used by the iPhone. I should mention uh, in the previous year, the phones were uh, available for attacking, but no one was able to actually uh, exploit them in that year. So this was the first year um, phones were actually attacked and, or yeah. rather exploited. I think, I mean, the trend line is a little bit interesting because I, I, I think if uh, I've been keeping score, almost everything that they put out on the desktop level was eventually exploited. Mm -hmm. The fact that it, mobile took a little bit to go was probably a question of maturity of the of the uh, attacker space more than necessarily the security of the platform. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Probably like, yeah, like you said, they're probably only getting two, three people trying it out the first year. And then it was like, oh, okay, now they're much more prevalent. We've kind of had a little more time to play around with this. And 
Also, I think that a lot of things that we've talked about have followed some progression of somebody does some foundational work of like how it was structured. And then like, until that tool exists, Mm -hmm. like the barrier to entry is so high that you don't get a lot of people in. But as soon as you have the first like decent tool to let people peek in and understand what's going on, it starts to snowball from there. Yeah, exactly. And Peter uh, Vrug Denhill also exploited IE8 by bypassing ASLR and uh, DEP2. Uh, mm-hmm. 2011, the attack surface of uh, mobile phones was expanded to also include cell phone baseband's. Okay. The, I yeah, didn't know day, about this. <laughs> day, day two, iPhone 4 and the BlackBerry Torch 9800 were exploited. Uh, Charlie Miller and uh, Dion Blazakis. Uh, they were able to gain access to the iPhone's address book through a vulnerability um, in mobile Safari by visiting a specific page they had set up full vulnerabilities to attack it. I do remember reading about that one. Okay. <laughs> the the BlackBerry Torch was taken out by uh, Vincenzo Iozzo, uh, Wilhelm Picaris, and uh, Ralph Felipe uh, Weinman. They took advantage of a vulnerability in the BlackBerry's WebKit-based browser mm-hmm. and did the same thing, directed it to a website they had set up and were able to exploit it properly. Come 2012, the rules were changed um, now, and they kind of more adhered to a capture the flag style competition with a point system. Okay. I mean, again, keeping score, mm-hmm. we saw, we heard a lot of names coming, hitting over and over, over multiple years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They wanted to make sure that the, that the competition environment stayed open by not making it, no, this is just how Charlie Miller gets his new laptop every year. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, uh, was it Vincenzo Aiello uh, gets his I, new phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like in, in response to this, uh, Charlie Miller actually um, decided to pull out, um, mm. said he wasn't going to attend the competition. He argued that the, the point system favored larger teams uh, due to basically having to write the exploits right there on the spot. Mm. And so, like, single competitors or like um, teams of two. We're at a severe disadvantage. This year also saw Chrome successfully exploited by uh, Vupin, which is a French infosec company. They, however, declined to reveal how they had escaped the sandbox of Chrome, uh, saying they they would just sell the information. So come 2013, the rules were changed to require full disclosure of exploits and techniques used. So I see Charlie's issue with that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of logic behind making sure that the pool of people who are trying is as big as we could re- as someone could reasonably make it like mm-hmm. of people who are going to have a chance at doing it and you don't want to have a chilling effect on that because somebody needs to come up behind charlie or or vincenzo or or whoever right right yeah. but setting it up to basically say how do we make the people who have been winning not win anymore as opposed mm. to let's reward more of the people is maybe not the greatest strat out there. Yeah, like rewarding more of the people, you said like Charlie and, and team, you know, winning year after mm. year disincentivizes some people, you know, there, there's always some people that are like, well, I'm going to take down the king, take the, take the throne myself. But like a lot of people, one, Charlie, brilliant guy, I'm sure he has mm. a very specific way that he does things. And so having numerous people tackling it all of different ways that they go about it, I think is much better for the community because you can see different techniques and how uh, people can get to the exact same finish line. Yeah. Uh, but the next set of rules, like I get that the point of the contest, sponsoring on the industry side, the point of putting money out there is to get new vulnerabilities patched. Mm-hmm. 
or at the very least, like I was saying earlier, at least know what direction they're coming from. Right. Yeah. So I do get the full disclosure required idea, mm-hmm. but Vom uh, Vupen, mm. uh, V-U-P-E-N, right? Yep. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I have, they've shown up in my, in, in my reading over the years more than once. Yeah. Um, they're, they're a French company. So the only thing I know of French is that you have to get really lazy halfway through the word. Just kind of like- well, I remind you that one of our early episodes was about Mimi Cats, which was developed by a French hacker. Mm-hmm. So this is the same kind of thing of, of, of like of the whole French surrender joke. It's like Napoleon <laughs> was French. He, he took over, he was the last guy that took over like most of Asia, of, of Europe. Um, right, right. Like maybe cut them some slack from one war. <laughs> um, um, but they've done enough good work over the years where they've definitely been on my on my radar. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, hey, they're just gonna sell this information. And like you said, that was kind of the MO of the whole system. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, versus trying to inculcate a comprehensive solution to like the class of problems without a profit motive built in. Mm-hmm. I get the ethics behind that too. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But in the end, for that particular thing, we don't know that like when that set of techniques uh, was addressed. Mm-hmm. I assume by now it, it it has been, but it's oh, yeah, yeah. we're talking about like 10 years ago, but still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The sooner known flaws are addressed, the better off we all are. And I mean, this is me and my blue team corporate mercenary kind of hat on, but I still <laughs> think it's better for all of us. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. And uh, like Vupin came back to the next year and they were able to exploit um, a fully updated IE 10 on Windows 8. Uh, they bypassed the sandbox and uh, then went on to exploit Firefox, Flash, and Java all in the same competition. So really good work. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Pinkie Pie won fifty thousand dollars during this competition. You know, this was right around the era when uh, ponies uh, started showing up at the the pony contest. Yes. Uh, Niles and John from MWR Labs exploited Chrome via WebKit um, and Windows kernel flaws to bypass the sandbox, and they won a hundred thousand dollars. George Hotz exploited Acrobat Reader and won $70,000 for himself. And then James Forshaw, Joshua Drake, and Ben Murphy uh, independently exploited Java and won $20,000 each. Actually, that's something probably also worth mentioning. When you talk about the Chrome sandbox, like part of the point of Chrome originally, because it was in response to IE in a lot of ways, Mm. not being a very secure (laughs) browser, was hey, we're going to sandbox what happens in the browser so it can't exit and cause problems for the rest of the system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a, as a way to try and fundamentally, in the architecture of the, oper- of, the uh, of the browser, address this entire class of vulnerabilities of IE getting popped and then doing other things to the operating system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the same token, Java, being its own virtual machine, is also supposed to have a sandbox. Or yeah. it is a sandbox is kind of inherent to, to the virtual machine and the virtual execution environment. Right. The yeah, yeah. bypassing of those things is actually quite significant. And mm-hmm. the yeah. fact that like everybody's doing it, like it's not just one problem. It's not just one type of application. It's all these sandboxing mechanisms keep getting broken in this era. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Notable events of uh, 2014, uh, Keen Lab basically hacked Windows uh, 8.1 Adobe Flash in 16 seconds and then hacked uh, OSX Maverick Safari system in 20 seconds. In 2015, Google ceased to be a sponsor of Pwndown. I, I can't remember. I, I meant to look up uh, when I was writing these notes, but I forgot because I was making a snack. Um, 
I know Google runs their own bounty uh, competition, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna guess it started right around this era. Like my memory is that a lot of bug bounty that like that was when we started hearing a lot about bug bounties at DEF CON and Black Hat was, mm-hmm. was about seven ish years ago. Yeah, but like like I was saying earlier, I think it's kind of a natural evolution of this being a centralized contest to companies with the size and the means to do bounties specifically on their stuff. Yeah, you know, it, yeah, it totally makes sense to be like, hey, target specifically our stuff, you know, because, yeah. you know, some of our stuff kind of, you know, is there in Pwn to Own, like Chrome's there and everything, but we want you to focus on literally everything in our library. Yeah. Uh, in fact, <laughs> you know what? The follow-up episode to this should probably be bug bounties. Mm-hmm. There's some good examples of of the whole structure behind it and and what people have done with those. Yeah, 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 definitely. And in 2015, too, every web browser was hacked and every prize won, uh, totaling $557,500. In uh, 2017, VMware's virtual machine sandbox was broken into and Huawei uh, Mate 9, iPhone 7, and Samsung's Galaxy S8 had 11 successful attacks uh, used against them. More sandbox. <laughs> yep. In 2018, China banned their researchers from attending the conference or divulging any security vulnerabilities to any foreigners. I hadn't heard that. That's mm-hmm. very interesting. Yeah. And uh, since its inception, Pondown uh, is held multiple times per year with various branch offs happening in uh, other major cities. Mm-hmm. Pondown Tokyo, Pondown Miami, you know, there's all over the world now happening multiple times per year. Mm-hmm. In uh, 2019, cars were added um, into the possible targets. And $900,000 was offered for hacks against Tesla software. Uh, hackers were able to make 375 grand after finding a severe memory randomization bug in the Model 3 infotainment system. Mm-hmm. And the next edition of Pwn to Own after this was announced include industrial control systems. And so in 2020, uh, the new edition of the contest took place in Miami uh, with industrial control systems and SCADA targets. And then obviously due to COVID, um, the conference was moved to be virtual. Uh, ZDI allowed remote participation with um, people just sending their exploits in to ZDI and like testing it out on the, the systems and whatnot. In 2021, we saw Safari, Microsoft Exchange, Microsoft Teams, Windows 10, and Ubuntu all compromised on day one of the competition. Day two, Zoom was taken out with a zero-click exploit. <laughs> and then uh, Parallels Desktop, Chrome, and Edge were all successfully exploited at this time, too. Wow. So that that's another conclusion is this isn't slowing down. No, no. They're expanding the scope of the number of things. And that just means more stuff gets popped and more, more money gets made. That cheddar keeps flowing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not even like, like, okay. Like the old, the browsers, the OS is like, that, that's no longer like, you know, getting popped as much. And now it's the new stuff that we bring in every year. It's like, no, just everything. Like, you know, as we add more stuff, it's just more stuff um, getting broken into. Yeah. So April of this year, I uh, saw the second edition of the Miami conference. Uh, Dan Quipper and uh, Thish Alkamade uh, from Computest Sector 7 bypassed the trusted application check on the OPC Foundation uh, UAE.NET standard. Mm-hmm. And in May of this year in Vancouver, uh, they hosted the conference to celebrate 15 years. Mm-hmm. And three separate teams uh, demonstrations are shown. Uh, one required no use and interaction uh, to be used to compromise an entire organization for Microsoft mm-hmm. Teams. Um, wow. Also demoed uh, were attacks against Firefox and Safari. 
uh, day two had an attack against the Tesla infotainment system again, mm -hmm. uh, where researchers from Synactive uh, team were able to remotely start the wipers, open the trunk, and flash the headlights of the vehicle. And day three saw six Windows 11 privilege escalation attacks. Um, all six used unique bugs. So that is that is pwned to own um, up to date as it stands right now. And yeah, like you said, it's not slowing. Yeah. So I had a couple of thoughts. One was going back to the car episode that you did. Yeah. I remember you saying that Tesla was considered to be by a lot of folks who were actively working on the car hacking actually pretty good about their software versus yeah. versus some of the other manufa manufacturers. Yeah. And if I heard you correctly, they're the only ones that were brave enough to put their stuff up for Pwn to own. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so basically I'm giving them credit here and not taking away from the fact that, that uh, they had to give out some bounty money. Yeah, 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 exactly. Also like, I know that I've been, I've had my head in the clouds for a couple of years now, um, really thinking about a lot of cloud stuff. And um, there's a lot of things that I think that would be very interesting to see in the cloud. We've seen some stuff last year, whiz.com, I think is it is. I had two different presentations with some pretty interesting things that they, that they discovered. Um, mm. One was some, some information leakage from their DNS system which was pretty wild though it was patched by the time it was put out but like okay i know that a lot of the work that i do right now is about auditing cloud logging and stuff like that because the state of practice isn't very good right right from my personal very selfish point of view i'd really like to see an adversarial cloud exploitation thing you have the credential a cloud credential of something can you escalate from there uh, mm. Can you operate in a way that we wouldn't be able to discover from some bounded way of monitoring things? Right, right. Like I'd be very interested in in a more structured competition about that, but that's much more complicated than did you pop the box? Yeah, that would that would be interesting. Start yeah. your own conference. Yeah. Well, I mean, also like again, I my opinion right now is the state of cloud monitoring of like really knowing what's going on in your cloud and whether or not abnormal things are happening is really in its infancy, no matter what the marketing guys for, for Azure or AWS say, that there's a lot of room for, for working on that. And I would really think that an adversarial thing, a cat and mouse real competition on that would be very profitable. But again, that's my, my particular selfish bugbear. <laughs> but like the fact that this stuff keeps getting popped as much better as the vendors are several of the vendors are getting at like programming and architecting with some security in mind. There's mm -hmm. still, there's no bottom to the ocean of what's exploitable. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, you know, early on, you know, security was kind of a, an afterthought. You'd be like, Oh, like, yeah, of course you could break in a lot of the stuff. Cause they weren't really thinking about it nowadays. They are thinking about it. Maybe not first and foremost, but like it's part of their SDLC somewhere, hopefully. And yeah. yet still like they're, they're breaking into the stuff. Well, I mean, the idea behind like the, all that sandboxing stuff we were just talking about was designing an architecture that you don't have to think so much about security on every individual piece of it, because mm -hmm. the system limits how bad things can get great if it works. And the, the, a lot of these contestants were able to break out of the sandboxes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
So like even making some conscious decisions on limiting your exposure from a, from a security perspective at an architecture level, which is an investment that like they made in the development of the system mm-hmm. still didn't make them completely immune from the problems. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I, I, it's interesting. What, but, the, but what it really means is that people like you and me and people who are trying to get or get up in the industry uh, that are listening to this, we're not going to have to worry about whether or not there's jobs for us to do anytime soon. Yeah, exactly. You can make some bank. Find out about new episodes at r slash hacking the Gibson on Reddit and support the podcast by contributing at the Wikimedia Foundation or Electronic Frontier Foundation.